Welcome to Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Carpenter, your host, and with me, of course, is Brandon Noway. How you doing today, Brandon? I am doing fantastic, Mark. How about yourself? I am doing crazy nuts, unbelievable, excited, and uh, mystified. Mystified. I mean, we we had some new news come our way yesterday. I mean, uh, initially, you and I were going to be talking about the CBA first, but wow, uh, a bit of news popped, and uh, they're stewed. We're talking about the sister city program with Montreal on the Rays. What's happened there? Yeah, well, you know, it, it started out, it was just a normal day of kind of boring, actually, nothing too exciting, almost like a cloudy, rainy day. And then all of a sudden, like the movies, the, the rain stopped, the clouds went away, and then the sun came out. And that sun was that MLB has killed the sister city plan. Wow. You know, the way I found out about this was a text from you yesterday morning. Boys and girls, real quickly, if you don't know, Tampa Bay Rays team has been under a cloud, if you will, from a fan's perspective for the last couple of years, that of the 81 home game teams that they would, should be home teams. Let's try this again. Of the 81 <laughs> games that would be played at home in Tampa, we would only be getting half of those. We'd be spit, splitting them with Montreal, playing half here and half in Montreal. It was good for Montreal, but uh, a lot of the local fans didn't feel that way. It got the support from a, from a lot of folks. But yesterday, yesterday, the news broke, and there you are. You're, you're letting me know, and I, I'm checking it out. It's, there it is. The MLB killed the Sister City program that's really been being worked on for two to three years now, Brandon. What's, again, what, what was with that? With the killing or the, the Sister City plan? Well, let's just give a quick summary on the Sister City plan. Well... To be honest, I don't really understand the point of the sister city. Stu thought it was a great idea to, you know, double dip in both cities. He thought, I want to keep the Rays in Tampa Bay for generations to come. And he apparently didn't think it was good enough for a full season. And he thought, why not split the beginning half of the season in Tampa and then the second half of the season up in Montreal? And he was like really onto that for a while. Even last year during the playoffs, he's going to put up a sign promoting the idea and he eventually caved to that idea because of all the pressure that the fans put on him because it was a horrible idea, to be honest. And credit to him, he admitted that. And before we knew it, I mean, it went quiet for a while. We got business leaders here in the local Bay Area saying, you know, we support this idea. We think it's the only way baseball can survive here. And even Rob Manford endorsed it, but that was a couple years ago, actually. I believe it was before 2020 they endorsed it. Yeah, I mean, we're looking back. I'm, I was checking a story from uh, Danny Russell, and uh, he's with D-Rays Bay. I had a story. I think he was he was probably quoting Mark Topkins from the Times. We were looking back in there, and Manfred was here in town, and he was saying, you know what? He said, quote, I am 100% convinced, and more importantly, the other owners have been convinced, Rob Manfred. And he this is him talking about the, the whole Sister Cities program. But what was also interesting was just seven months before that, he was saying, well, you know, it, it's kind of in the free lunch category. There, there's no such thing as a free lunch. We have an issue in Tampa. It needs to get resolved somehow. If it means we give up a potential expansion site to solidify where we are at, so be it. <laughs> oh, geez, Denise, you talk about being all over the place just within uh, seven months from one another. 
it, it's how can you have any kind of sense of what's going to happen? I mean, you, you're there saying, well, there's no free lunch and we may just have to do away with that Tampa being there. And it's just 100% convinced. And then yesterday, yesterday, the news was MLB said no. And I cannot begin to imagine, Brandon, if I was Stu Sternberg, who had been promoting this idea, who's been building on this idea, has planned out the future on this idea of a sister city and getting the kibosh this week. I feel conflicted on this because, I, to be honest, I hate both sides. I hate the MLB who runs it, and I, God knows I hate Stu Sternberg. And it's nothing personal, but it's, I just don't like the guy. I mean, just looking back at the timeline of this, I know – you know, COVID probably threw a wrench into this many months, years ago, actually, at this point. But it seems like it was just so unorganized from the start. Like there was no clear cut plan, nothing really to it, and just no communication between the league and the race. Because if Stu was under the impression this whole time that they were behind it 100%, including the owners, and then just a couple of days ago to get the news, hey, we're killing this. We don't want this. It, I don't get it. It's, this just seems so unorganized. There's just no communications. Well, you know, you know, with any project that a major company takes, even a small company takes, they have a project manager. And this person goes in and explores all the pitfalls and all the benefits and all the people and places that have to be in, you know, in the, in uh, what, in concert with one another to make things happen. And you need to have like almost an engineer's mind to be able to decipher and say, okay, this is the go. Here are the people, here are the elements, here's the deliverables, the things that we have to have done to make this happen. And like you're saying, I don't, I don't think that was, if it was ever done, it certainly wasn't transparent to the fans. No. And you know, it's, it's a little bit of comrades stew If it was MLB not communicating with them and being, you know, unprofessional and, minor league in a sense but i mean even though i i hate them but at least have respect for each other to communicate with them and just be honest and say hey just looking at the situation we're in right now we don't know if we can approve this anymore or if we can support it or did they ever really support it and he was I, just using it as a negotiating chip you know that that's something i think a lot of fans have questioned all along and well, I mean, if you look at just the way the MLB has gone back and forth on this, and those are several orders, and some things where Stu's gone back and forth with some of these things. I think about when he first announced this at the, the Dolly Museum and that one fan screaming at the top of his lungs from the mezzanine, traitor, traitor, traitor. <laughs> and I sometimes, I just don't know if they can't see well enough, you know, if, if, they, if they're not in touch with the fans. I think that's probably true of most owners. Yeah, I, I I don't think he's in touch at all with the fan base. I mean, you never see him at games. You never hear from him at all. He didn't even live here until, I think, maybe two years ago. Whereas, and you know, I'm going to bring him up again, Jeffrey Vinnick. When he bought the Lightning, he uprooted his entire life, his business, his family, everything, and moved them down here to, to own this team. And Stu didn't do that. And, you know, I mean, I don't. Maybe he just didn't want to uproot his family. I don't know his family situation, but he didn't do that. You never see him. I've never seen him at games outside of opening day. I see him more at Mets games. 
I don't see him here in St. Pete. I don't know. Is Jeff Benning just too high a bar for people to, <laughs> to, to connect with? He, he's certainly one that should, all owners should aspire to. I think that much is true. I mean, communication and respect. That's not really a high bar in my book. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's think about this for a minute. Why did this just come out now? What, what do you think when we're looking here and saying, okay, this is something that, that Stu's, what, Stu's been with us now for 17, 18 years. Stu's been talking this for about three years. He's had a couple of years with the endorsement of MLB. You know, people in Montreal, I'm sure a lot of them were excited to have any kind of idea of a team being there. Stephen Bronfman, the big guy who was pushing this, the, the guy who had actually been with the Montreal Expos as part of, the, I think, the ownership of that organization. He's the one who Stu was working with this time. But why did Stu and Stephen Bronfman just get that information the other day? You know, you and I were going to talk about the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement between the Major League Baseball and the Players Association was going to be the, the pivotal beginning of this uh, show. But I don't know. I'm, I'm asking myself, is the timeliness of trying to get that done matching up with this news about the Rays in Montreal, sister city being killed? Hmm, I mean, I could see that as a possibility to where that would come up. But I'm not really sure if that's, you know, forefront of their minds right now. Uh, maybe it was just something where the owners are like, we're not in a position to do something like this. There's other things to worry about. Maybe that's what they were thinking. Well, let's go back to the idea of the expansion, you know, of adding a couple more teams, you know, to of adding a couple more teams to the roster. Okay? We had two more teams in Major League Baseball. Who are you going to get? You're going to get Vancouver. You're going to get Vegas. You're going to get Nashville. Are you going to get Montreal? And if you do expand Major League Baseball from 30 to 32 teams, what's it going to take for those two teams, those two new cities, to be part of Major League Baseball? What what's a franchise cost? From what? From just typing it in right now in Google, according to Yahoo, Rob Manfred said earlier this year that. The, the value of an expansion team would be $2.2 billion. $2.2 billion. Uh, that's, that's a lot more than just sharing a team with another city because I don't know that really any more money would be coming into MLB's coffers. And another thing, I don't know what the relocation fee would be or if there would be a fee at all for this, this idea. But in that same article from Yahoo, it says that that expansion fee would put that team immediately in the top 10 of MLB team values just from wow. the expansion fee. Wow. That's just, you know, again, mind numbing to me. But, well, okay, let's take another step back. Before there was going to be a sister city team, I'm, I'm looking here now at some notes from Stu, what, 10 or 11 years ago when there was an ABC coalition and he was working with uh, Mayor Baker at that time over in St. Pete. And they came up with the conclusion, yeah, they, they needed a new stadium back then. So that was part of the plan before the sister city came to be. There was a plan for one city, Tampa, getting a stadium for the race in Ebor. And it looked glorious. Yeah, just... 
and this wonderful glass roof, which would magnify light and, and heat into the, <laughs> into the stadium as well. But that wound up being a pipe dream. And I was so excited for that stadium. I thought it looked awesome. The, I don't know how the, the glass roof would have worked, but I was excited for it anyways, because I thought it would have been cool to, you know, see the skyline at night or, or see like the storms coming in and it'd be storming outside, but you can still play. I just thought that was so cool. And that did, didn't come to fruition for many things. I mean, I heard that, that Stu was only offering $100 million or $150 million, something like that. I didn't see anything concrete, but that was just what I've read. Then before you know it, the Sister City idea came through, and he was willing to put $350 million towards that for an outdoor stadium. So, I mean, hey, if he's willing to put three fifty dollars for that, why can't he put three fifty dollars now for a, a full-season stadium? Well, I, th- I think you're on the money there, Brandon. And I was doing a little homework myself as well because last year, just as the fans really started coming back into the stadium, in Texas, they opened up the Ranger Stadium up there and said, hey, everybody, come on in, come on in. Governor said, there's no restrictions. So, so with Ranger Stadium, I, I was really curious because, again, I, I don't know that the stadium did that, but they had the authority of the governor to do that. But he had good reason to do this, man. I mean, because they had a new stadium. And what did Arlington have to do to make that happen? Well, first off, in 2016, the residents in Arlington voted overwhelmingly to cover $500 million of a $1.2 billion price tag to build that stadium. Now, that was going to be done, I think, also with a tax they already had in place. They had a half-penny tax, sales tax. Now, with that sales tax, I don't know what it was going to before, but for the next 30 years, it was going to be paying off some of that $500 million. The other things that they were doing in Arlington was they were going to uh, see increase the hotel occupancy tax by 2%. They were going to increase car rentals and add another 5% tax on that. And they were going to charge the Rangers $2 million a year to, to rent the facilities. So they did quite a bit of uh, planning on this, and it was a good strategy. But I don't know that we would get that same kind of endorsement here in Tampa Bay as far as taxes to make this thing happen. I heard from Ken Hagen when he did an interview a couple of days on the local sports station that they were considering doing like a tourist tax where, you know, we being the locals, we wouldn't pay for it. Our tax might wouldn't. It'd be the tourists who are basically paying for, it. you know, the Yankees, the Red Sox fans, they're paying for it. And I thought, you know, that's, seems like a win-win nobody's really paying for it other than outside people and you know maybe just split it 50 50 down the middle city plate or tourist pays half and stew pays half and it's not like you have to pay it all up front you pay it over time like say he put 400 million towards it he could do 20 million over 20 years like you don't have to pay all the money at once i mean I know you want to get it as cheap as you can, but $20 million over the next 20 years, the way these contracts and money is going, that might be a steal. I, th- I believe so also. And one other thing to add about that Ranger Stadium is that once that uh, referendum went through, that vote to uh, 
you know, taxes on it. The team itself took out a $600 million loan. So, you know, like you said, you don't have necessarily have it all in your back pocket to get this going, but we certainly see where they've had some success. And as far as a destination, not to take anything away from Arlington, but the Tampa Bay area is huge as far as tourists come in here to put a few extra nickels and dollars, whatever on every person who comes to visit this wonderful area to pay for that stadium. I don't see as a problem. Yeah. I think, you know, the DFW area is more known for like business travel and stuff like that. Whereas the Tampa Bay area is more known for tourism. So, I mean, I, I think it's the perfect idea, but will will like they being the Rays go for it. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with it. I want to go back for a moment to the press conference with Stu yesterday. I was anticipating from just that initial text that you sent me and a quick look before anything else had really evolved that this was some change in Stu's heart, you know, that he said, well, we're, we're looking at this closely. We don't have the support here, so we're going to go back to an original plan of, of really just doing something in Tampa. But that wasn't the case. Like so we found out it was MLB. And all I could think of was I had this image of Stephen Bronfman and, and Stu Sternberg standing there at the altar waiting for the priest because they're ready to get married. And no, the priest doesn't show up. Oh, and by the way, the reception hall next door, they're tearing down the streamers and all the catering food is now gone. It's, it's empty. And where do you go from there? And to see Stu Sternberg still actually give that press conference after all that, I said, whoa. So I give him kudos for doing it, but you know he he said some things that kind of got me, you know, that really kind of stuck in my crawl. And one of those was when the one of the questions he was asked is like, you know, what is it going to take to really do something well here in Tampa? And he said, well, you know, we're we're going to have to we're going to have to look at what's happening in the stands. We're going to have to look at what's happening as far as attendance. And I thought, Stu. Don't expect any changes next year. You haven't made any changes. You haven't done anything to endear yourself to the fans. You haven't done anything for the proximity of where these guys are playing to make it any better than it was before. So what you gonna do? Yeah, that to me, I mean, that seems like he's looking to push responsibility on other people. I mean, he needs to do a lot of brown nosing, if you know what I mean, because he lost a lot of people, including myself. And it's not going to just happen, you know, with the statement saying, yeah, you know, I'm sorry. That's not going to happen. You need to do more. And I don't think he's going to do that just because I just don't think he cares. He just cares about the payday. Well, he's got a pretty good payday from everything that's not going inside the stadium. I mean, if we take a look, at, uh, I was looking at what, trying to find out the traffic of uh, people watching the game. And you brought this up to me before the show. So I, I dug a little deeper, and you may have something different. But here's what I got. I found that, let's see, between 2018, the 2018-2019 season, the Tampa Bay Lightning, which feels Amelie Arena, had about approximately 43,885 households watching each game. Now, if you go to the Tampa Bay Rays, another statistic I saw for them is 74,000 households. <laughs> That's significantly different. And I can imagine a lot more money is being made 
as far as revenue dollars, advertising dollars on that broadcast, than even the lightning you're probably get, gathering. Yeah, and Matt Germain said it a couple of weeks ago. TV is where the money's made, and it people conveniently leave out the TV ratings in this because look at the lightning, how much fan support they get, how much community support they get. I mean, they're beloved. How many times do you go out and do you see something lightning or bucks for a team that really doesn't seem like it embraces its city? They're doing better TV ratings than a team that is embraced and beloved by the city, by everybody. So, I mean, people conveniently leave that out because I guess it doesn't fit their narrative of nobody in Tampa cares about baseball. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, that just shows that they're lazy because if you do the research and look, you're completely wrong. There's a benefit. Whether you're not a, a baseball fan or Rays fan, there is a benefit to having a successful sports team in the area. And look, it's like free advertising too, because every time the Lightning are on, well, it was NBC, or now it's ESPN or TNT, they'll show live shots around downtown Tampa. I mean, they'll show the Riverwalk or whether Armature Works at that, that restaurant area by Blake High School. Yeah. Whatever that, yeah, they'll show that area. That's like free advertising for the city. And well, every time there's an all-star game here for the NHL or the Super Bowl last year, how do you think that made the city look? Having every sports station, news station, showing shots around your city for a week. The most watched sporting event, arguably in the world. Definitely in America. <laughs> well, uh, you're talking about that and, you, and you're right. And wasn't surprisingly to see after that press conference, some politicians acknowledge the strength of having the race in Tampa. And I think Jane Castor was, you know, on board with that. And was, I think it as uh, a commissioner, Ken Hagan, who's been on from the beginning saying, you know, Tampa only Tampa only Tampa only. And one of the stories the other day says, well, you know, I knew this was coming all along. This, this was dead on the <laughs> vine. And I thought, well, I'm glad you had that insight. I certainly didn't. I saw this is maybe a little bit off topic, but I saw a guy, I guess he's Montreal based. His name is Todd Battis. I believe that's how you say it. I apologize if that's wrong. It's B-A-T-T-I-S, Todd Battis, I believe. He tweeted out, and this was about last summer, May, June. Dear Tampa, we're taking your cup, then we're coming for your baseball team. <laughs> Love, Montreal. How's that looking there, Todd? He was... <laughs> One post shot away from getting swept, and now the sister city's dead. Oh, here to comment. Oh, we had to send him some love today, man. Oh, hey, he kept it up though. Credit to him; he didn't back away from it. Well, that's you know you're gonna stand up. That's great. That's great. But you're looking at Montreal, and they they still have opportunity. I guess there could be an expansion team there. But that's I was looking at something from the Montreal Gazette the other day, and they're saying, uh, "See, Steve Brahman said." At this point, I kind of put my hands in the air. You know, the, the chapter's closed. I said, well, and said he, he compared this news to a, a bloody eulogy. Like, Whoa, oh my. Well, yeah. It didn't sound like a eulogy the way Stu was acting. I mean, it sounded like somebody backed over his dog right in front of him the way he was talking. <laughs> like, I mean, he sounded so sad. And the picture you sent me looked like he'd been crying. Oh, 
golly, it was tough, man. I, I, you look at Stu now and you look at him when he got this team 18 years ago, and it doesn't look like he's just aged 20 years. It looks like it's a lot more than that. It's that's been, it's been tough on the dude. And like, like you, like you, I don't agree with the man about 90% of the time, but wow. Uh, Bronfen going back to the, the Montreal connection says we all got slapped in the face. We all got the same surprise together and I'm just tired and a little upset. Well, you and I and a lot of other fans have been a little upset for a much longer period of time. <laughs> so forgive me if I'm feeling a little relief while you're experiencing a little pain. So God bless you, sir. But, uh, uh as a Tampa Bay fan, sorry. We need that Price is Right style buzzer. That's it. All right. <laughs> oh man. So yeah. What, what's what's the question? What's the question on the board up there on the uh, Family Feud? You know what was it? Name one thing that Tampa Bay Rays fans want the most. Go ahead, Stu. Uh, they want to be have their team in two cities. <laughs> it's it's like i said they they don't know their fan base and uh, i mean talking about the race i mean we are so fortunate to have a great team that we have and i want to thank Stu for for bringing eric neander in and and doing all that he and kevin cash and all those young players have done i mean it's exciting i, I still love the team i've just really had a lot of problems with the front office and I don't know, brother. I don't know. But here's one thing, a sense of urgency to everyone. And that is, there is a time limit right now. And we're talking about at the end of 2027, the Rays don't have a home yet. At least nothing that uh, is going to match up with this news. You know, will the stadium, the two-city stadium that Stu was looking at building, Will that still fit with just being in one city? I think when they were doing the sister cities, the stadium was going to be a little bit bigger. And when if it were going to be full-time, they were going to do a smaller, like around 25,000, which, I mean, to me, it sounds perfect with for a baseball stadium where the attendance figures are headed. I think that would be perfect and more towards the future than the sister city idea. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um I mean, look, the, the complaint too, was we're only getting about an average of 9,000 people per game. I think that was the number that was being utilized and that there's many times there'd only be 5,000 in the, uh, in the Tropicana. But again, the Tropicana is not going to be a viable option, at least as far as agreements with St. Pete at the moment after 2027. So I hope whatever ideas that the Tampa Bay Rays have for a stadium, for a new stadium in Tampa, that they get that thing hustling because you and I were talking about this and we know construction doesn't happen overnight. It isn't like some of these church groups who bring everybody in and they, they lift and raise the building within a day. This, <laughs> this going to take a while. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, brother. It's well, so we're talking just a few years out before we had to have a new stadium and everything rocking and rolling. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I expect something to start picking up here soon because they don't have time, but I mean, I'm going to have to see some sort of commitment and initiative from Stu because they're not going to do the sister city idea. So 
it's all or nothing, which is what people wanted. Well, let's address that for a moment. What people wanted. And you and I have our thing here talking about the Rays and a lot of other things with baseball on baseball biz, but media in general, local media has been, Oh, more than friendly. I believe over time to the Rays and certainly the management. And I, I don't know, does it go back to the old axiom, you know, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Yeah, I, I, I believe it does. Cause I'm pretty sure that's a, a big money deal. And, and Hey, I mean, I know that's how the world works. I don't blame them. I, probably be doing the same thing but you know some things it feels like they don't completely voice how they feel with the people like they were saying you know oh well something is better than nothing and you know if you were a race fan you'd support this and i don't remember a host hearing that i've heard people saying that and i'm I'm not saying that about a host and i've seen them say you know, if baseball can support it, why can't we as Rays fans support it? Only for, I actually believe, 72 hours later to say that this that idea was dead. So special shout out to that tweet right there. <laughs> but I mean, like you're saying, you know, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. And, you know, you got to be a little bit more, not like censor with what you say, but more careful. You can't just be honest. You can't, I don't think we could say what we say about them. Yeah, we we can't say, we wouldn't be able to do that if we were somewhere involved with the race or any organization. If we didn't have broadcast rights, if we were, you know, we had commercials from them on here, et cetera. Yeah, probably feel a little little less uh, critical or sharing all that critique. So I, I get it. I don't like it. And I look at Ken Rosenthal and say, hey, Ken, how you doing? Oh, I'm sorry. You just got cut from MLB, presumably for making comments that weren't completely complimentary to about Rob Manfred. So it's there. And what was that? Um, what was that movie? It just came out. Shock and awe. Have you seen that? Uh, I have not. Shock and awe. And it's about the Knight Ritter group covering, you know, the whole idea of weapons of mass destruction. And they're trying to get this story out. And Anyway, they seem to be the sole news source talking about this. The New York Times is writing something, but it seems to be you know, right in step with what the administration at that time was saying. Many said, well, you know, that, that's, that's not right. That's not accurate. And let's see if I can remember the, the quote. It's something along the lines is that when news becomes a profit center, access Access is the cost, you know, or access. So meaning that and if you become a profit center and you're focused solely on profit, it's damn difficult to be able to do that and still get access to everything. So, and I, I feel that's probably a challenge. A lot of uh, broadcasters, if you know, feel if they, if they want to still have access to the team, if they want to be able to come in to the stadium, those are privileges. So, you can't look at this as necessarily hard investigative news when you're a sportscaster. It seems kind of like how they kind of like to scratch your back, scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And like house of cards where, you know, the politicians, they'll leak stories or they'll give info to media members about it. If they can put their spin on it and in return, they're helping them out by making them look good. Exactly. And 
and I'm going to go back to the, my uh, movie there for a moment, because what was interesting, I think the lady's name was Judith Miller from the New York Times, wrote all of these things that kind of, like I said, was in lockstep with the administration, only to come back later, sometime later, the New York Times had to come back and apologize for their coverage or the lack of coverage of what they did with the weapons of mass destruction. Again, I don't look at <laughs> I don't look at baseball as anything with the import of disease or war or anything like that. But it's just that you know you you can't take anything at face value, and you have to realize that these announcers and these broadcasters kind of semi handcuffed to what they can do. Now that we got so political, got so political. Not where oh, I want to yeah, be. That's political for us. Yeah, it's very political for us. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it's a TV show. That's right. <laughs> That's what we can say. So now that we've given you guys a, an economics <laughs> lesson about what you can and can't say as a broadcaster, let's take a look at, at some other things with Stu. Yeah, he had the thing where he, I don't remember what the exact question is, but he did have the quote of, I'm not really an all in type of guy. And it's like, well, Two things I immediately thought of. First of all, sports is an all-in type of thing, my guy. Yeah. So you got to go all-in to win. And that reflects in your on-field product. Because when was the last time you really saw the Rays go all-in and say, here are my chips. I'm pushing them in. Let's go win a title. I, yeah. I, don't, I can't think of one. Even no. this year, they went and got Nelson Cruz. And we were like, they don't really need a bat. They need pitching. That, that just wasn't an all-in type of move. Yeah, and you know you got to look in those deep pockets. They're not going to get Shohei. They're not going to get Shohei Otani here. That's for sure. I mean, that's just one thing that I took issue with. And I mean, I know he probably wasn't. That's just something probably should have thought before you said something like that. Yeah, and and I agree. And <laughs> you know, we we've looked across baseball over the last couple of years. Everything from the whole Astros uh, screw up with the trash cans to who was that other guy, Mather, Mother, whatever. He was at some sort of online JC's Zoom call. And, you know, you think he was imparting knowledge from a dark corner and saying things about people he should never have said. There's, and, and you think, are you guys grownups yet? You know, ha have you figured this out? And I think all in all, I was almost surprised how well Stu fared yesterday. He, he certainly, I think, dropped the ball two or three times. But if, he, if indeed he just got the news earlier that morning, kudos to him because I don't think that could have come off much better. I don't know if he got it that morning, but I heard it was a couple days before. Ooh. That was just what I thought. Or that's what I saw in many different places. Well, and you know that it broke news before they announced it. That was, uh, that was poorly done too. Somebody in PR should have had that in place, should have said, Stu, we need to get out with this news. The one smart thing was that he began at least with a prepared statement, whether you, you liked it or agreed with it. Uh, he did start with that. Well, it's MLB and the Rays. Do you really expect anything to go professionally? I don't expect. No, no, no. <laughs> but as long as they're about talking about going professionally, let's talk about that Players Association and the Major League Baseball. Do, we, do you want to say more before we jump into this? Uh, no, I, I don't want to sound too negative. Okay. I think we got enough covered for the day. Yeah, I think so too. So all of you guys, whether you're Rays fans or not, you do have to understand the importance of saying no to a sister city program. Because in all likelihood, 
that's not going to happen for any other team in the future. And, you know, I have my views and Brandon has his, and I truly do believe part of that came down to being able to make a lot more money for, with an expansion team. And I don't know right now, Brandon, because the collective bargaining agreement is still being negotiated. I mean, we're in lockout phase still, I guess. And uh, earlier last week or this week, I can't remember that MLB put something out in front of the players association says core economics. And I don't believe they jumped up and said, Oh yes, please let's sign now that they're, they're coming back with the CM seeing here today. Today's being January 21st on a Friday that Monday, the players association will have something to show the owners and see if they can get somewhere. So we can make sure we have a 2022 season. I mean, I don't really have high hopes for this going anywhere because, I mean, it sounded like they weren't impressed at all with the original one, and I don't expect the counteroffer to really be any anything more from the the Players Association side. But I did have this thought earlier, and I, I believe I brought it up to you. The longer this goes, if it makes the season shorter, is that really a bad thing for baseball? Because everybody knows the season needs to be shorter. Is that really such a bad thing? I mean, financially it might be, but for the game and interest-wise, I think that'd be better long-term. I think for a lot of markets that would be true. I don't think necessarily all of them. Uh, I think maybe even the wear and tear on the young player you know, might be better, but uh, it might be better as far as uh, fandom being able to afford going to these games. Maybe it would fill up the stadium more. I don't know. Maybe it'll get momentum towards that dream 80 or 100 game season everybody wants. Yeah. Well, if but you had, that won't happen, but it's just, <laughs> it's nice to think. Well, you, the, the season with COVID with 60 games, it was, it was an interesting season. A lot of people were real upset about the whole idea. So, well, you're going to have a World Series with just 60 games. You know, what can happen here? And uh, one little flashback to the Rays while they had over 100 wins last year, percentage wise, I don't have the exact numbers, but the, Year of COVID with only 60 games, they had a higher winning percentage than they did with the season with 100 wins. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you one other thing, Brandon. I said they need to get this done. They being the Players Association, they being Major League Baseball owners, get the CBA done. We want baseball. I, I guess if nothing else, we've said this before, I guess we'll have a minor league season, but I'd like to see Major League Baseball this year. Yeah, it'd be nice. I mean, even a shorter season, if that's the worst case, that's not all too bad. But, I mean, if there's no season at all, which I believe we're very, very far away from, that'd be like almost a death nail for baseball because they really can't afford to miss another season just the way they are. Well, you know, and if we do have a shorter season, it might go to what your strategy is and say, hey, you know what? We, this, we've seen this now. We saw it in the 60-game season, and we saw it in the lockout season where we had a limited number of games. Didn't it work anyway? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Just plant the seed in their head. Love it. Love it. Although it's a good idea, so it probably wouldn't cross their minds. <laughs> well, I think we've done enough seed planting today, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did have one more thing that I forgot to bring up earlier. What's that? With the sister city idea, Stu said that MLB would be afraid to be first, and it's never been done before. There's 
just a small little problem with that. It kind of has been done before. Back in the 70s, it was the Kings and the NBA split cities between Omaha and Kansas City. As they were like sort of moving from Omaha to Kansas City, they were splitting. And another MLB team split cities between their hometown and San Juan, Puerto Rico for a couple years. Would you like to guess who that team was? Uh, Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was the Montreal Expos. Oh, and that was oh. because they could not get enough fans in the stands. So they decided to do a split city option their last couple years. So that hasn't been done before, but that's nuts. I think in Bronfman said something almost identical to, to what Stu said about it being a new idea and them not being ready for it. <laughs> well, <laughs> those of you who do a little history as Brandon does, you'll learn a lot more. We're going to hope that all the uh, raised fans get what they want. We're going to hope that all those 39 plus business leaders who signed that letter saying they support the twin cities a week ago. Uh, we wish them all the best and I'm looking forward to a 2020 season, man. I'm looking forward to going to the Trump a few times this year, not 81 games, but uh, more <laughs> so than I, I have in the past. Yeah. Or, or at least give us some drama to talk about, you know, it makes it easy and Hey, it's good for ratings too. So there you go. Let's get some drama going. All Even right. You want hate drama? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You hate drama. That's right. It's good for the show. It's good for the show. Why don't you take us out, brother? Yeah, everybody. Thanks for listening. And you can follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Tucker, and not, actually not Tucker, Twitter. <laughs> if you remember Mark's, Mark's slip up there. Make sure to give us a like, follow, and review the podcast as that helps us. And thank you for listening. Thank you all again. And remember, you can find Brandon on Twitter at SportsBlitzPod and me, Mark, at the Baseball Biz on Twitter. And when we love all your questions, love all your answers. And yeah, we even enjoy your criticism. So look forward to talking with you all again real soon. Special thanks to x on UX for the music rocking forward. That was pretty good.